Hello and welcome to the First Time Founders Podcast, the show where we talk about how to start a business from nothing and grow it into something meaningful. Today I'm joined by Steve Sharp. Steve's a founder director from Nuvo, a next generation accounting practice that's grown spectacularly in recent years. Um, they're just about to, or maybe just have, broken into the top 100 accounting practices. And they've done that through a combination of organic and acquisition-fueled growth. So Steve's very kindly opened up and talked to, to us about how to go about running a professional services business. He uses the entrepreneurial operating system, which many of you will have heard me talk about before. But also how to acquire companies. If you're a founder that maybe recently exited your first venture maybe your 10th venture, but you've always started a business from nothing and, and grown it. This episode, you'll hear somebody talk about having done that, but also how they've um, become attracted to acquiring good businesses that already exist, and making them even better through a combination of vision, good operational discipline. Again, Steve talks about the use of the operational, uh, the entrepreneurial operating system, and also just generally how to spot opportunities uh, in and around your network if you're a connected founder interested in businesses and being a good steward of great companies looking for their next um to go on their next adventure so i found this conversation fascinating i think you will too so without further ado my conversation with steve sharp steve welcome to the first time founders podcast thank you for doing this sir pleasure so, Steve, we obviously connected on, uh, not obviously, we did connect on LinkedIn because I had detected that you run quite a successful accounting practice on on EOS. Before we dive into that, you've actually got anybody that looks you up on, on LinkedIn from the show notes is going to observe that you've got quite a few interesting gigs, hats, however you want to describe it. Would you mind setting the scene for those watching and listening, sort of explaining a bit about your day job at Nuvo and then some of the other things you do outside of running a fast growing accounting practice? Yeah, sure. So, like I said, the day job is uh, is is Nuvo. Uh, I was until recently managing partner, um, and now I've stepped into the visionary um, seat as, a, as as the founder. Um, but along the way, kind of over the last twenty years, is building Nuvo up. Also, had other opportunities to uh, to invest in other businesses, um, and um, so yeah. So I now have kind of non exec roles in in a few other businesses uh, and investments as well. But um, but the focus is very much on uh, on Nuvo and continuing the uh, the growth with the business. So uh, yeah. So you mentioned that you're the visionary for for, for Nuvo. That that's obviously entrepreneurial operating system ter- terminology. For folks that are familiar with entrepreneurial operating system vocab, but maybe can't picture how you might put that into something like a professional services business, would you mind shedding some light on how you came across the system and why you think it works in professional services or why it has worked for you? Yeah, sure. So, so we, we were running as a kind of a traditional accountancy practice for the first kind of circa 15, 16 years, uh, very much self-employed accountants working together. Um, and we got to the point where we were really hitting a ceiling, um, another EOS phrase, but we were struggling to continue to grow at the pace we were without some major changes and investments into the s- structure systems and people within the business. Um, by chance, I had a client who was an EOS implementer, um, and on one of her year-end reviews, we were speaking generally about business, and she uh suggested I read the traction book um, and pretty much as soon as I read the intro I, I knew it was um, answering a lot of the the questions to where we were as a business um, so we 
look to implement EOS um, and you know, do, do, do all, all of the kind of the structure that EOS um, brought to the table. Um, and that's where I initially became the integrator and visionary in a, in a joint role um, as we built the team up, um, always with a view of um, I'm more kind of forward thinking um, big picture, big relationships, um, rather than the, than the detail. Um, so uh, my business partner Simon's took over the uh, the managing partner role, so the integrated role, uh, which allows me spending more time on the visionary role. So it's been a, an an interesting twenty years. Um, like I said, fifteen, sixteen, very much stereotypical business, and then these last three years via EOS um, has, has really helped us to. Uh, to break through not only the initial ceiling that we were in but um, but we've pretty much tripled in size during that three-year period uh, yeah it's amazing i can't wait to get into that because i know you've done that organically and then by acquisition as well so it's super interesting before we do let's talk a bit about being in the visionary and the integrated seat together because um my background originally was i, I was a lawyer i wasn't clever enough to be an, an accountant sadly but i i, I think this is probably it was true for me and i would imagine it'd be true for a lot of accountants um in order to even survive a little bit in that world, you have to be able to make the, tra- the trains run to some degree. And so when I did the, uh, the the EOS worldwide test about whether you're a visionary or integrator, I was kind of somewhere in the middle, but with a bias to being a visionary. D- did you find the same thing? And if so, did you feel a bit embarrassed to become a, vis- a full-time visionary? Um, a, a little bit, because accountants by nature aren't particularly visionary um, and like you i i was a bit of both um and i enjoyed doing a dual role but equally it brings its own difficulties in focusing on the shorter term managing the team making sure everything is integrated especially as you're going through a high growth phase uh, acquiring new businesses new offices there's a lot of integration to be done um and that tends to come first because it tends to be more urgent and therefore, you don't always get to the visionary, longer-term strategic planning, making sure the core values are in place. Um, so it, it, it was enjoyable, but it was always for a temporary period until we built the team up um, to be in a position where we could split that role out. Um, so, um, yeah, I did enjoy it. Um, it was challenging. And was I embarrassed going into the visionary role? Uh, it, it was more just the perception to the wider team to make sure it didn't look like I was kind of stepping back or out of the business um, and to illustrate the difference to the team of having somebody focused on the vision and going forward um, and the longer term planning is of benefit to the businesses of overall and having Simon now in place as the managing partner as the integrator um, was a good thing for the business so we used the opportunity of our staff day um, to kind of explain and uh, illustrate to the whole team the, the, the change um, the main thing was I, I've, as, a, as an accountant I don't particularly enjoy being called a visionary because um, <laughs> it, it's it's just that term that, that I, I think accountants don't really relate particularly too so so my title then became founder director uh, rather than a visionary or um, any other terms that, that that visionaries might might otherwise have so that was probably the biggest <laughs> challenge is finding a suitable title um just to just to, uh, to go along with the role it's interesting actually you work with an implementer because it might have been tempted to change quite a few of the tools and the terminology if you didn't have someone there keeping you honest and keeping keeping pure was it was it alice that you worked with i i, I yes. can't remember 
Yes, yes, it was it was Alice Jordan uh, in a strength, um, which was useful because we already had a relationship. She'd already been a client uh, for, um, for 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 a period before that, so we used to speak a bit about business. Um, but then, it, 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 honestly, it was it was a game changer. Alice getting involved and facilitating um, the, the the changes that we made, uh, and we needed that that person to help us through it to make sure we we gave the time and the focus on the project. Um, otherwise, it's too easy to be stuck in the day-to-day running of the business, especially when you're in a kind of a deadline-based um, business where there's always work to be done, there's always deadlines coming up, there's always client projects ongoing. So to actually have that structure and time to, to, to step out of the business, we needed a third party to come and help us along the process. Alice is brilliant as well. I mean, I, I only qualify. We implemented EOS within my software business, Yapster, but I only recently qualified to work with other organisations and Alice has been so good. Like she's she's just she's a really interesting combination of like direct but kind. Yes, you know? yeah. like, which is exactly what they you know teach you to teach you to do in EOS worldwide. It's all about entering the danger, and I've learned a lot from from her already. So I can see why why yeah, you're attracted we, to her style. We needed a bit of that as well. A bit of a bit of kind of not necessarily tough love, but a bit of a bit of directness. Um, and like I say, it helped that we I already kind of knew of and, and worked with Alice anyway. Um, but but it is you, you do have to be direct, and we weren't very good as a team at being direct with each other. Um, so as part of the process, things came out that um, that enabled us to move forward and have better communications and being more direct. Um, so um, so yeah, it was an interesting process. But Alice was great all, all along the way. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So you've grown significantly. Have you grown roughly in line with your original sort of v- your vision? in EOS terms or has that changed over time did you know that was going to be through acquisition and organic yeah so so, so the story was we 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 set up in uh, 2004 and in 2009 we came across uh, uh, our first acquisition almost by accident um and it basically doubled us in size overnight um, oh, wow. and it was relatively easy compared to going out and winning new clients when there's there's a long lead time winning clients um organically um and then taking on a client from another practice um the professional clearance setting up on our systems the first year always takes twice as long as subsequent years whereas going out and, and being able to acquire a block of fees with those clients already integrated within that firm we're just taking over that firm and then integrating the systems and also acquiring some good staff um was 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 almost like a cheat code for us at the, at the time so um, we did really well in kind of founding the business and growing it to a certain size but then that first acquisition really changed our um thinking about how we can grow the business um and then since then we acquired another uh eight firms before we implemented eos um so we've kind of grown to a size where we were uh, three offices um, and really hitting the ceiling between we were a 50-50 business at the time of, of being able to continue to grow um, and then implementing EOS really kind of opened the door to be able to do uh, more acquisitions so we've done another nine since EOS in the last uh, in the last three years um, the original VTO back to your question uh, three years ago was to become a top 100 UK firm um, that was a seven-year plan. I know it's initially meant to be a 10-year plan, but we wanted to align that with our personal plans. Um, and we've, we're going to achieve that in this next full financial year. So achieved it in four years. Um, so a bit, awesome. ahead, a bit ahead of schedule, 
um, uh, and yeah, the, the the market for us is in terms of acquisitions is 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 very good at the moment because there's a lot of people looking to uh, exit the industry uh, and not a lot of succession uh, planning in in firms. But EOS has allowed us the opportunity to be able to take advantage of the uh, opportunities in the market because otherwise we wouldn't have been able to successfully uh, acquire the firms we have in the last three years. Do you have any sense of, of how big you can or should get? Because, I mean, if you're in the top 100 now, there's there's got to be a long way to go, right? Particularly given how forward-thinking you are around running the practice. And, um, so yeah. I don't want to make, make people cringe with all the puffery, but it is true, isn't it? There are not that many professional services businesses that have that have committed to culture and structure in the way you have. So, I mean, how far do you think it can go? Yeah, and the, the first thing was to get the, the, the foundations right. So we feel that we've done a lot of work over the, the, the first two years of EOS of getting the right team in place, getting the right structure, getting the right people in the right seats, the right systems and processes to allow us then to continue to grow. Um, now the, 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 we've done another vision because we're close to um succeeding on on the initial top 100 um that's become more of an internal shareholder value um vision to try and focus the uh the senior management team on maximizing shareholder value rather than kind of a top line top 100 which was more of a um, kind of a get the whole team on board um, so it's a bit more of an internal um, vision, a shareholder vision rather than external vision. The external vision still remains the same until we achieve the top 100. Uh, and then we'll have a, a, a nice big party and decide what we want to externally vision with the, um, with, with the team, the wider team uh, going forward. But in terms of where, where we can get to, I think now we're working on a, on a revised five-year plan. Um, and there's there's no reason why we can't triple in size again in the next in the next five years. Um, there's the opportunity out there. We're we're a, we're a young uh, management team. We're all focused and driven on continuing to grow in the market. There's lots of opportunities. There's not a lot of people doing what we're doing at our level. Um, there's a lot of larger consolidators um, operating with with bigger acquisitions, but at, at our level. Um, We've got a very successful model, so it's normally win-win for the uh, for the business that's looking to exit um, and the uh, for us to acquire. Um, along with, it's not all acquisition growth. We're, we're doing um, some really good things with some organic growth as well. We use um, software called Go Proposal as our standard pricing system across the whole of the, the practice. Um, and the mentality behind Go Proposal, which aligns really well to EOS, making sure we're billing um, the correct prices across the whole business for all of our clients, for all of our services, um, is leading to some really good double-digit organic growth to go along with the acquisition. Um, and then, obviously, if we can acquire and then have some organic growth on the acquisitions, it's, it's win-win again. So, uh, yeah, exciting times. I can believe that. What was the sort of the sweet spot in terms of client, like client size and profile? Just before I start pontificating on my view of the accounting world, I might not have any experience with your target market. Yeah, sure. So, so we, 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 our clients are split into three. So what we did day one is say that we're going to stick to quite a narrow core focus. We're going to do what we're good at and do lots of it rather than trying to be everything to everyone. So what we don't do is almost as important as what we do do. So we, we, we've never gone into corporate finance, insolvency, um, IT services, wealth management. We've stuck to our core focus of the core compliance accountancy services. 
But what we do do is all of the core compliance accountancy services, and we focus on doing them all well. So we do bookkeeping, payroll, uh, VAT, management accounts, year-end tax and audit. So in terms of then our type of clients, we've got three main um, types of clients. We've got a lot by number in terms of individuals. So we'll do individual tax returns for people earning over £100,000 or a rental property or um, additional untaxed income. Um, so we'll do about five, 6,000 tax returns. Um, then at the top end, we've, we're audit registered. Um, so we've got three clients over 100 million um, turnover and circa 40, 50 audit clients. Um, and we've got an audit partner and an audit team that look after the audit clients. Um, but then the, the mass by value of fee income is, is the ones in the middle. Um, owner-managed businesses uh, who are large enough to need an accountant normally more than once a year, uh, but not large enough to employ one in-house. So typically one, two-person owned um, businesses, they might have five to 20 staff, we'll do the payroll, we'll help on the bookkeeping support, they might have an internal bookkeeper and we, we just help at the end of the end of the month or quarter. We'll provide financial information for them throughout the year um, so they're not running their business blind. Um, we'll help with any business issues throughout the year, whether it be raising debt, cash flow, etc. Um, and then we'll do the compliance work, the year-end accounts um, uh, and tax returns at the, at the end of the year. So it's a little bit more closely working with clients, building better relationships than it is just once a year, nine months after the year. And that's part of the whole EOS journey is making sure our systems and processes are proactive, very quickly after uh, a, a year end we're getting the, the the accounts and tax returns done so we can actually talk to clients about their plans going forward and help them build their businesses and achieve their goals um, rather than just doing the compliance bit which is kind of has to be done no matter what but i can see why you the acquisition you can get this interesting flywheel with acquisitions and then organic growth because i don't think it's any secret across the entrepreneurial community that um a lot of entrepreneurs are not don't feel very well qualified to hire great accountants, particularly with compliance at the core, because I think the fact that we have to file our statutory filings means that we kind of have to pick someone. A lot of us do that fairly unthinkingly. And so I can totally see how if, if your local accountant gets acquired by Nuvo and then suddenly you see this transformation in the experience that you get and the value you get, while you would be open to buying a wider range of, albeit still related, services you know that that completely makes sense to me i mean i'm probably on my fourth set of accountants and i you know my my little entrepreneurial journey over the last 15 years and i would say i've really only just reached sophistication on what i want um yeah. and uh and then of course you need to make sure you've got the resources to to you know to, to to be a good fit for the type of accountant that you want but i've definitely learned by trial and error and i can't be the only person that's learned what a good accountant looks like by doing it the wrong way <laughs> yeah and it's, it's a very fragmented market um uh, obviously the, the term accountant isn't actually protected by law like like solicitors are um so you've got a lot of um very good qualified accountants and uh, you've got some not so good qualified accountants and you've got some good and bad not qualified accountants to various different levels so it's a very confusing market um very fragmented um, and I always suggest it's about matching your advisor to the type and uh, style of business and type and style of business person that you are um, 
and, and that, that tends to be where we fit uh, well with owner-managed businesses who, who not only want to look after the compliance, yes, we can do do that, no, no problem, but where they want something a little bit more, um, whether that be financial management information or just, just a call every quarter to chat about the business and be a bit of a sounding board, especially for single owner-managed businesses that maybe haven't, haven't got that. So I think we, we, we've got that balance where you can stick to the core services as we do, but you can also add some value on that and be business advisory around those core services for those clients that, that, that want and value that. Um, and then you build good relationships with those clients and then back to the organic growth. There's, there doesn't seem to be that many clients um, who come to us who have a recommendation of a, of, a, of a good firm. So you do a good job for one person and it's amazing how many people they'll go and tell. I can totally, totally see that. It's exciting. So we've spoken nearly 20 minutes about the core business. Now I'm dying to get into how one goes about buying Country Club and other interesting businesses. And full disclosure to those watching or listening, that's definitely the path I want to take my career on on next, having sort of built, semi-scaled and then sold, sold a business. Um, you know, but not for a gazillion dollars. Having seen that process on the seller side, I'm now quite interested in being on the on on the buyer side. Okay, I understand there's lots of reasons why people might sell a good business at an entry price that makes sense for for the acquirer. Because of course, like in popular media, all you ever hear about, right, are zillion dollar outcomes where the price seems sort of, you know, particularly in the tech world, it seems like it bears no relation to the intrinsic value of the, of the asset. Or you hear about these horror stories of businesses going pop that, that you know that business journalists seem to sort of morbidly enjoy. You hear very little in the middle. So would you would you mind just sharing some of your experience and some of the acquisitions that you've done outside of your your accounting practice, so that other founders listening that might want to pursue entrepreneurship through acquisition next, as opposed to day one founding, can maybe learn a thing or two from your 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 wins and your losses, mistakes and otherwise. Yeah, sure. So, it, so I suppose to start with, I've always been interested in business. I've, I, I became an accountant. I left school at 16 and, and did an apprenticeship in accountancy because I saw that was the best way of getting into business. Um, so it wasn't necessarily becoming an accountant for an accountant's sake. It was, it was a door into the business world. Um, then founding a firm, which which is hard work. Those early days, uh, working <laughs> from the bedroom, your first employee, your first offices, uh, very rewarding as you grow because it is all about you. But it it, it was difficult. Um, and then that first acquisition we did in two thousand and nine, kind of like I said before, it was really it almost felt like we found a bit of a cheat code. Um, Got into some other opportunities um, that, that were presented mainly through through the network, through through uh, business connections. Um, we actually invested in an alcoholic ice cream business, which was really exciting at the time. Um, <laughs> That's it, awesome. It, it was an SEIS investment, so obviously it was it was, it was tax efficient. It was a contact um, that, that that we knew, and it was one of those businesses that it it, it was high risk but could have been absolutely uh, amazing in in the in the food industry but it was trying to launch a new product into a new category in the food industry um so with hindsight i mean it was a great experience i put the our investment that we ultimately lost in that down as my university education that i never had um, and learned a lot more from that than i did with, <laughs> with any successes um so yeah no regrets on that but um, it was just an opportunity that came about 
Um, and then my wife, Francesca, she's a HR leader um, and she was HR manager at a golf and country club. Um, I was um, asked by uh, the managing director to help on a management buyout, um, introduced him to a few high net worth um, clients um, and quickly decided that this was something that was a great opportunity uh, a bit different to the professional services businesses that I've been involved with before, um, but a solid business case. It was it was a it was a buy invest um, business model, um, underlying good business. It just needed some investment in the asset. It was a, um, a an older owner um, that was looking to exit for a couple of years before, so it was motivated to exit, and the business just needed that fresher, newer look. Um, and with um, uh, a couple of other business partners, we felt that we could um, add some value to that business. And again, it was an exciting opportunity. Um, I think ultimately dealing with lots of different businesses over over the last kind of 25 years as, a, as I've been in the industry, um, you learn most businesses are ultimately the same. Um, they they sell something, they do something, and they account for something. Um, whether that's a, a golf and country club where it's it's more focused on the sales and the marketing, then delivering the the experience, and then making sure that that's all priced to 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 make a profit, um, or whether it's the, um, the, the on the accountancy side. I think once once you know business, you know business, and you can change those, you can adapt those skills across different businesses. Um, we then also got involved in a facilities management business. So we employ about 500 people through the facilities management businesses that we've acquired. Again, doing a, a buy and build structure. So we bought one initially. Um, it was a it was a, it was a, uh, a a business that I knew through Nuvo, um, guy that was looking to sell. Had been messed around on the on the um, by the by the potential buyer. Um, and there seems to be a lot of that in the in the market now. There's a lot of people who are looking to buy businesses, maybe gone on some courses, and they can buy a business for for nothing. Got no experience at running a business, um, and yeah, good good luck to them. Look, there's opportunities in the market, and I'm sure, there's some very good people looking to buy the businesses. Um, but with my background of founding a business, looking after um, a lot of businesses through Nuvo, and then doing the golf and country club project it just put me in a good position to be able to um, look at other business opportunities so um so yeah it tends to be more reactive to opportunities that are, that are either presented to me or that i come across rather than proactively going out to the in uh, any industry and looking um but we've invested in a recruitment firm and that was through eos actually so we, we identified we needed 13 positions filled um and oh, wow. the, through doing the the EOS kind of uh, modeling on the um, accountability chart and changing our structure um, all the way from recruiting a finance director, which was a new position that we never had, to some kind of heads of departments and and various other roles throughout the business. And we always struggled as a business because we're we're under the radar because we've grown through acquisition rather than doing a lot of marketing. Our employer brand wasn't particularly strong. So we've we've we struggled to recruit really good staff. Once we've got staff, that's interesting. Retaining and motivating them is has been has been relatively uh, relatively straightforward. We've put a lot of focus and effort on on it, but our retention rates was always been good. But actually, recruiting was difficult. So 
um, we decided to make an investment in a, a financial recruitment firm um, with my wife, who, like I say, is from a HR background, um, to really get that direct access to the market, to the people, um, because our business is all about people. So having better access to better people ultimately benefits benefits the business uh, and was an interesting investment um, for us to do as well. So, um, so yeah, we did the financial recruitment firm, done a bit in the legal sector as well. Um, and then the, the the buy and build on the um, uh, on the facilities management side. So that's unbelievable. You're not boring, are you? I mean, it's interesting. So actually, if I was to play back what I take from that and advice, and maybe what other founders listening could, and please correct me or extend, um, it's be, beware the personal brand you build as an acquirer. If you kick tires and you mess people around, that's going to adversely affect your, your your deal flow. And then it sounds like your experience, at least, has been. What did Warren Buffett call it? Kind of circle of competence, but I guess it's also thinking about what's in orbit around your network and your and your your core business. Uh, you wouldn't necessarily pick that up from LinkedIn, but as you tell the story in narrative terms, it actually completely makes sense. That's actually really helpful for for, for anyone in you know in my position to introspect on where the right first step might be. Always being mindful of not being seen as a time waster. Yes, yes, and I think when somebody's selling their business, it, it's a very personal transaction for them um it's probably the biggest single financial transaction they'll they'll make in their life uh, and their employees and their customers are quite often friends and family so them having the confidence in whoever's buying the business i find as being a lot more important than necessarily the deal structure the price the quantum of the uh, of the actual deal um so i always make sure that um, I sit down with somebody face to face. I think having the fact that I'm a chartered accountant, the fact I've set up a business and helped a lot of businesses along the way and got a successful accountancy business helps. The fact I've got investments in other businesses and I can refer people to to, to those uh, previous business owners as a successful transaction definitely gives you credibility. Um, but then also the fact that I tend to not, deal with anybody that isn't recommended to me means that you've already got that sort of introduction rather than having to build from a from a from a cold relationship so anybody looking to 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 buy a business i think the first thing to do is is to try and explore networks face-to-face recommendations rather than going on a, a a website for businesses for sale um, and then build the story on the credibility to prove why you're a credible buyer. Because even though it's a it, it's a buyer's market, there's a lot more businesses for sale than there are people looking to buy. Um, you've still got to prove that you're the right person for um, for for, for, the, for that business owner um, and for their staff and for their customers. So um, yeah, that's what I'd, I'd suggest. That's amazing. And how strong would you? How strongly do you feel about EOS as an operating system that you generally recommend? Or would you? Do you even feel strongly that businesses should have an operating system, with, even if it's a, a different one to EOS? Or are you pretty chill about leave it alone if if ad hoc seems to be working? No, I think I think you're, you've got to have some structure and system, uh, especially if you're growing a business or looking to invest or make changes to a business um maybe if a business is 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 kind of more plodding and that's that's where the business needs to be it's it's less important um 
but you know, EOS has, has been absolutely brilliant for Nuvo. It was just what we needed just at the right time, so it fit really well in professional services. Um, but we've also used elements of it in, in the other businesses, so the facilities management business. We don't run full EOS. Um, I think we'll probably move towards doing that, um, but we've, we've taken elements of it as we've needed to, um, to, to to help us grow there, and then the uh, the golf and country club, we, we implemented a lot of EOS um, there. So we kind of took EOS and, and took took the bits that we liked the most, and kind of molded a, a, a slightly um, different version of, of EOS um, within the other businesses. Um, so yeah, I definitely recommend it to to most businesses, especially businesses who are looking to grow or that are suffering from hitting the ceiling. Business owners that are spending far too much time and too involved in the business to be able to extract themselves from uh, fr- fr- from their business and allow the business to grow. Um, so yeah, and I've and I've, I've recommended it to various clients uh, uh, along the way. So uh, yeah, in in simple answer, yes, I would recommend EOS, and most businesses should do something around operating systems. <laughs> it's, well, yeah. it, it took me sixteen years to work it out. But. <laughs> yeah, don't worry, I'm I'm I've been a slow learner on that front. Similarly, I I, I think what I like about it as a aspiring acquirer is you want to have a really good relationship with the team if the owner's going to continue and to participate in any way. I love the idea of being able to go in and say, this is an operating system I believe in. This is how I think it would be good to run this organization going forward. And so that there can't be any kind of seller's remorse afterwards. Uh, I, that quite appeals to me as opposed to them feeling like they're just being um you know whipsawed around by whatever that you know they were they were answering to the last mad entrepreneur that owned the asset and now someone else has come in and we're going to all suddenly run the company based on their kind of random ideas i quite like the idea that you can refer people to a series of books and say there is a right way or a, you know you have there's a series of right ways to run a good company you just have to pick one <laughs> yeah yeah and i think it just adds to that credibility point that um kind of a serious business person that knows what they're doing talking about the structure and talking about vision and talking about process and accountability and meeting schedules and rocks and it, it just it, it it just gives that credibility and confidence that you know what you're doing and the business is going to be in safe hands uh, and like i said that tends to be in my experience the biggest factor in a seller deciding who they want to sell or if they want to sell their business to somebody is that confidence that that person's gonna gonna be able to look after the business and and their staff and their customers going forward um no matter whether there's lots of deferred consideration or not take take the numbers out of it completely it's it's that that tends to be the biggest uh, the biggest point steve this this has been amazing i know we've come up on the on the half hour um Obviously, people watching and listening to this are going to be entrepreneurial folks running businesses of, of different sizes. If people, I know this hasn't been an advert for Nuva, it's just been sharing a series of entrepreneurial experiences, acquiring organic, EOS and otherwise. But you could see why people might want to work with an accounting practice that kind of get it across all the topics that we've covered. What's the best way for someone to get in touch with Nuva? We're obviously going to put your contact details in the show notes, but I'm assuming you don't want a thousand entrepreneurs doing like <laughs> like lead gen for Novo. Should they just go to Nuvo? Should they go to the website? Or yeah, so either go to the website or happy to sh- share my details. My, my emails are then filtered through the team and they'll be directed to the most appropriate uh, person to be able to help. Uh, but yeah, so we're, we're, we're an entrepreneurial business, so we tend to uh, 
do well in dealing with entrepreneurial clients, um, clients who are who are going through a process and growing. Or it's exciting to, to to help with them, help with the compliance, and help with adding some value along the way. Um, so yeah, always always happy to help. I can only imagine how many mad visionaries there are in your customer population, and maybe a few uh, long-suffering integrators. <laughs> yes, in, indeed, indeed. Not not that many that have made made the transition between between the two, but um, yes, I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> Steve, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Absolute pleasure. Cheers, Rob. <laughs>